1: of Panic with Friend. I'm just taking over the show. I've decided, you know, we have a new co-host, Nikita, say hello.
2: Hi, everyone.
1: Nikita's locked down uh, forever. Canada's decided to just lock down and drop cash into people's condos for the rest of their lives. So good luck, Nikita. This is the only little bit of sunshine in your life, correct?
2: Thank you. You are my sunshine. Ooh, so
1: no. hey she can fend for herself Knut. she's an actress and an analyst she's worked uh, in banks you're so right she can't. this is uh nikita's second podcast and she's already better at this than Canute. oh man no it wasn't a burn it was just you don't even like doing this you like editing and and laughing in the dark that's on your tinder can i, laugh at you I like jokes. editing howard's podcast and laughing in the dark. <laughs> Whereas Nikita's podcast is it's COVID and I'm single and I'm ready. I thought that was a little forward, Nikita, but good news. We have a single gentleman on, on the hone. He's not a homeowner, he's a condo owner, just found out. Nikita keeps detailed notes about these guys. But Nikita is uh an analyst at Social Evers principal. She has been killing it for us. Uh you're the first fresh face at social leverage ever what's it been like how big a dream is 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 this everything you imagine
2: this is what i was manifesting all of 2020
1: (laughs) and well (laughs) you should aim higher is what we tell people
2: elon was manifesting you know doji to the moon and i was like oh my god i just want to be on the podcast with howie and Knut.
1: And can thank you, Nikita. So I think it's fun having these new dynamics. You know, Conan is my favorite podcast. He has his producer on much funnier than much more engaged and on point and, and much more of an executive producer than you can and he'd multitask. And <laughs> <laughs> Nikita, tell he's me. not he's not tall and white and handsome like you. He is Oh, well,
0: he doesn't have that going
1: for him. And then he has this woman who's worked for him forever. And no one's worked for me forever, so the odds of Nikita staying around are slimming by the moment of this podcast. But at the same time, he's had this hilarious sidekick woman who is having twins, uh, something Nikita hopes to have one day for her parents. Who <laughs> who call me and say, "What's up with Nikita?" They I don't know how they got my number, Nikita, but they do call. I think it's cute. Damn it! The uh, so this this show is called Panic with Friends, and I want to have another friend on. So uh, Nikita's here. She's going to have lots of questions. She's into everything that we're into. Stocks, crypto, SPACs. She has a weekly SPAC uh, newsletter called, is there a name for it?
2: The Nikita newsletter.
1: Oh, the Nikita newsletter. N squared. And uh, <laughs> so you can see, even though I, I put her up to the newsletter, it's been going on for a month or so now and you have uh, readers all over the world.
2: I know I've done six so far and that's what I do on Sundays because uh, we're in a lockdown and I'm, I'm not dating right now. So, you know, I'm dating myself writing these fact newsletters.
1: And, and so acting is something you do. You've been murdered. Your claim to fame is every show you do, you've been murdered. Yeah. And <laughs> what is it about you that makes people want, you just come into a room and you're pretty and people go, she's dead. So have you ever objected and said, I need to live in one of these episodes?
2: Um, no, I'm, there's so many different ways that I can be murdered. So I'm still exploring that. <laughs> uh,
1: so we're going to write a show. Uh, we're going to write a social leverage intrigue show, about an investment that went bad and a founder gone rogue. So Nikita and I are working on that right now. And um, you have two parts in the movie. Okay. And uh, both of them call for tall white people. <laughs> <laughs> so laugh more that's what we need from you canoon i thought by bringing nikita on we could bring out the laughter oh, oh, yeah. nikita laughs fearlessly uh, you laugh like a giant teddy bear we need to see more of that and i gotta i gotta make this show more like conan less about the guest do we even have a guest today i think we do yeah by the way our guest today we shouldn't even be allowed to talk he's that he's that smart and on fire uh, kyle samani he lives in austin uh not with his parents note no, note that <laughs> Nikita, so that's a good check. And uh, he's Iranian, I think he said, did he not? I forget things so quickly, yes. And uh, he's maybe, I'm very lucky that Vinny Lingam, a good friend of mine, uh, a lunatic, uh, crypto uh, early adopter and networker living in, I'm not going to tell you his address, just because I like him, but living somewhere in California, introduced me to Kyle. Kyle immediately within three minutes was like, (laughs) I He really knows nothing about crypto, this guy. But I'll take his money. And luckily, I invested in 2017, multi-coin capital. I've seen things in my investing life. I have not seen what has happened to crypto. I've never seen anything happen to something that I own. Thank God he's in charge of it. At least as we tape today, tomorrow it could all be over. And I fucking hate Kyle. But uh, right now, I love the man. Love everything about him so much so that I'm offering up Nikita. <laughs> can I do that? Can I, an employee offer, can an employer offer up an employee for returns from a fund manager? You can try. Yeah. So Nikita's playing along, but also knows more about crypto than me. Nikita, when did you get the crypto bug?
2: I got it once around that 2017, but I think I missed the boat because uh, I bought that GBTC Oy. Uh and remember, like it was back then, it wrote up to like twenty five hundred dollars before it like crashed, uh-huh. and before they had that like crazy split. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much bought it at the top, Ooh. and I was burned so badly that I was like, okay, thank you, next. And it was actually, uh, it's funny, it was actually an ex-boyfriend who got me into that trade. So mm-hmm. he bought it at a thousand and wrote it all the way up to like twenty five hundred. And then dumped you. Yeah, no, I dumped him after that.
1: (laughs) Is that when you decided to lose 200 pounds? I did, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Nikita weighs about 60 pounds. The uh, (laughs) show, and probably always has. So we have the tall beanstalk of a man canoe, the petite, lovely Nikita, and the beast that is Howard, who's been manscaping for two hours before this show, because you never know who will pop in and judge (laughs) me. By a random nose hair. So uh, we're going to bring on Kyle. He they have a ton of news. So when I had him on first in October, Ethereum was this is October not of nineteen ninety, October of two thousand twenty. And you weren't paying attention as you normally weren't because you would have bought some Ethereum and Bitcoin because Kyle was on talking about what could happen if Bitcoin broke out. Um, I know. And this is October two thousand twenty. Ethereum was four hundred. It is thirty four hundred today. That's October, Oy November, yeah. December, January, February, March, April, May. Seven months. That's incredible. Yeah. The 10 back in seven months. He's had some bigger calls. Solana, uh, Serum, uh, Helium. These are all on his blog, uh, on the Multicoin blog. Uh, he owns them. He's uh, just raised, they have, Tushar and him have just raised, grown the firm and just raised a second fund. Their second fund is a $100 million fund. So hopefully we'll talk about that. But I really want to dig in and Nikita chime in with questions um, about the tokens that he talked about and, when, and a little bit about his past interview. So let's get Kyle. Do we have time left for him? Uh, I think we've got a couple <laughs> more minutes, yes. I'm just staring at a chart of Ethereum. And I, sometimes I write hearts now, like in my diary, with Kyle's name in it. I don't know if that's appropriate, but uh, I, I do that. So let's bring Kyle onto the show. Kyle, sweetheart.
0: <laughs> I think this might be the most awkward entrance to. Uh, that was what I'm shooting for. This show I has potential. Finally,
1: this show finally is where I want it to be. Listening to the intro, <laughs> we <laughs> shook Kyle to us all. It's hard to shake Kyle because he's seeing like volatility up the yin yang. Uh, Kyle, meet uh, you've met Canute. Meet Nikita.
0: Hello, Nikita. Hi, great to meet you. I've heard a lot of great things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So Kyle has a great sense of humor. He's a good human. He has, uh, I wouldn't say predicted this, but lived in the middle of one of the greatest moves seen in markets in history. And, I, and I'm, forget 2017, I'm talking October to today. Kyle, how old are you?
0: Uh, I turned 31 recently.
1: And how much fun is 2021 versus 2018?
0: <laughs> yeah this year this year has been the most outrageous experience my whole life right now is kind of one giant party
1: and you deserve it and, and we talk a lot because you're hiring and i'm throwing uh resumes your way of max and and a lot of my friends are trying to get in on the action everybody's trying to get a little bit on the action what is it this time because we could crash tomorrow and you're not in it for the the nickels and dimes. So, you know, there's there's no exit for position sizes of uh, the likes in some of these funds. So what is different April 2020? You know, Warren Buffett still has the same opinion. All this stuff is rat poison. Uh, Bill Maher was out this weekend making fun of uh, Bitcoin people. I know you don't care. I kind of care. What's different this time versus
0: 2017? Um, I think the biggest change is probably in the macro backdrop, which is COVID and then all of the fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus we have seen um, you know, in the last 12 months or so. I think a lot of people are saying we, we are... There are some, some macro folks have been saying, look, the last 10 years has been kind of unprecedented in monetary policy history, which may or may not be true. Obviously, it's kind of been one nice gen, general 10-year bull market with a month exception. But uh, I think the... The level, the degree of, of acceleration on the recent past, both from the left and from the right, in monetary and fiscal stimulus, has really gotten a lot of people to say, you know, we, there needs to be an insurance policy that's real in, in some sort of monetary system that is a way to opt out. Hmm. Um, and in its most simple, simple form, that is basically digital gold, um, which is basically what Bitcoin is. And that's caused a new heightened awareness and appreciation for the, the novel properties of Bitcoin. And then inevitably, as people have gone down the rabbit hole uh, with Bitcoin, they say, okay, well, what's all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. And once once they are willing to open their mind to Bitcoin and say Bitcoin is not rat poison, then they tend to have an easier time accepting, you know, the implications of other stuff like ETH and, and Binance and FTX and Solana and Helium and all this other weird, crazy stuff.
1: And is Tushar split the roles here because uh, you... You know, when I started on the fund, it was just going to be 95% liquid, 5% sidecar. Is that correct, or am I off? Uh,
0: it was, we're targeting 85-15. 85-15. Back then, yeah.
1: And now I open my statement, it's 95-5. <laughs> so times have changed. Um how do you feel about things? Do you get nervous at all, or are you just excited, or do you, or, or what's your thinking now as a money manager slash investor raising fund two and putting still fund money to work in seed stage? How has the landscape changed from an investor point of view, from your eyes to the founders and to just the mania?
0: Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that duration is a source of edge um, in crypto. The Price is the price is always the news. This is true across all markets. It's especially true in crypto because it's volatile, and because it's volatile, that tends to shorten people's durations. And I've realized that a really easy, well, theoretically easy, emotionally difficult source of edge is uh, duration. And uh, I, I've, come, I've been doing this for three and a half years now professionally, and I've come to appreciate that a lot. Um, I think that's been super important uh, for us as a firm to appreciate and to, you know, we did a good job of mostly ignoring people yelling at us, telling us to, to do things um, on a shorter duration, and we mostly ignored them. Um, and I, I feel stronger than ever now in, in kind of our, our stance on, on duration and um, just focusing on the medium to long term and, you know, basically ignoring things that happen on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis.
1: And when you say ignoring, I, I tend to think it's me, even though I wasn't that guy. Were you talking about me? <laughs> how did uh, i behave I mean, during you, the bear market how did i behave
0: you were mostly just quiet actually um you were you were one of the better ones but some of our lps were very angry with us and demanded that they should not have lockups that they agreed to
1: wait till you meet my wife <laughs> <laughs> she equates you with liquidate kyle that was her chance liquidate that bastard and i'm like honey you got to go with the kyle man no i'm kidding so um what about the money raising then? Because, you know, I was an early, you know, uh, Vinny was a good friend, you know, introduced me. And I, I remember introducing you around to a few people. I can't even, I didn't even follow up who did and who didn't. Because uh, that's the way I do things. I just share what I think are smart people with other people and see what happens later. What is the money raising situation like fund one versus fund two?
0: Um. Yeah, so we have, we have, Uh, a hedge fund, which is open-ended. And then we've got our venture fund one, which has been closed for a few years and venture fund two, which we just closed a few months ago and just announced uh, recently. Um, raising for, we actually tried to raise funds two in 2019 and failed. Hmm. Um, we kind of slow played deployments of the last dollars of fund one over the course of 20. And then the back half of 20, uh, set out to, to raise fund two. um, uh, it went better than we expected, although it was by no means a slam dunk in the latter part of twenty. Um, but then kind of through the first quarter of Q one when we did the final closing on funds two, uh, things got really accelerated uh, and and they, uh, the fund was was very, very oversubscribed. Um, uh, that was a function of our portfolio doing well and the, the crypto markets generally heating up. And when you combine those two effects, you, you get kind of explosive inbound interest from from investors. Uh, so we're very fortunate now that we are, are not worried about raising fund three.
1: And uh, Nikita, you, you you can chime in anytime. Don't worry, I will to interrupt. I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt Canoop, but not you. Do you have a quick question you see you wanted to ask?
2: Yeah, I was I was just going to say that uh, Kyle. I first actually heard you on uh, Howard's podcast in October, and it was very interesting because I think it was right before that inflection point, and you know. You were talking that, oh, it's still the wild, wild west of crypto. And uh, you were kind of expressing your skepticism that Bitcoin hadn't actually taken off. And, uh, you know, you were you were in that like I remember listening to you and you were like a bit skeptical. So it's interesting that just in the last eight months, like what has happened, you um,
1: I remember listening and you were saying, you know, it needs to take out these all-time highs because everybody, you were saying all the ideological dollars are maxed out in Bitcoin and the non-ideological dollars don't care. What's changed in that statement, if anything?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, the ideologues have been more or less maxed out. Um, What's happened is a new wave of people have come in who are what I'll call not ideologues. They are now long-term, you know, in in infinite duration um, money managers, endowments, pensions, foundations, sovereigns—those types, um, even corporates—where uh, their time rise is measured in decades, if not centuries—and those people are definitely not ideological. And they started buying Bitcoin. Um, and inevitably, as they started buying Bitcoin, obviously, all of the people who work at all of those firms—you know, some of them may have already had some exposure, but a lot—I bet you, almost all of them increased their exposure. Um, and then they all told their friends who are ultra high net worth and family offices and whatever, and all those people started to buy Bitcoin. And so the universe of people who were considering or uh, were willing to buy the asset, you know, in, I would say increase in terms of available wealth, probably at least 10 or 20 or 30 X in the last six months. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not more.
1: I've never seen anything like it. So that's interesting. And something else you said was a lot of the things we learned from being in the public markets make us better investors in the private markets, which obviously, kudos, I agree. That was the joy of me going back and forth between markets and being crossover. Um, now, are you finding it going to help you now that you've been a private investor and gone through a bear market in the private markets where you couldn't sell? And even if you could, maybe you wouldn't have anyways because you remained bullish the reverse holds true too. So is that, is, are you starting to see that help you as a hedge fund manager?
0: Yeah, we've, um, when we say like the public private, they help each other. So I think there's definitely some, um, emotional benefit again, in both directions. Um, dealing with a hedge fund makes I think help us deal with, with emotion when things are hot on, on being disciplined on the private side. And then conversely, I think being involved in the private side helps us maintain longer mental duration. Um, even when things are volatile, both both up and down. So I think there's some, some psychological benefit of practicing both. Um, but I think actually, usually when we, we talk about the kind of crossover value, uh, I think it's more reflective of just kind of the nature of our industry, which is you've got these bigger, later stage growth assets. You've got smaller, earlier stage stuff, that, that some of which is liquid. And then you've got smaller, earlier stage stuff, some of which is illiquid. And inevitably, there's a lot of competitive overlap between these things, um, and, and they, you know, can compete in uh, very kind of asymmetric vectors uh, depending on what what the things are trying to do. Um, and and so I think if you're if you're going to be a long-term fundamental-oriented investor in the space, you have to be playing both sides of the market uh, because there's just too much accumulated knowledge um, and historical context. Um, I think to uh, that you can't kind of ascertain otherwise. Um, I think the other real benefit of being in, in both. I think most of the VCs miss this to some degree. Is being forced to use the products. So if you only just buy and hold in a 10-year fund life, you know, like we're not active derivatives traders by any means, but we actually force ourselves to use some derivatives. Um, and that means we've gone on and put on positions on FTX, on Binance. And you know, we we it forces us to be more familiar with our platforms. Um, you know, then those same companies come around and, and fundraise later, and or we own some of their public tokens. Um, and, and having the conviction to say, you know, we should hold this, this token and a higher percentage of that token, I think that you really develop the conviction to make more concentrated bets there, um, if and only if you understand the nuance of each product on a very detailed basis.
1: Totally agree. You know, it's why I've stuck so much to and I do get excited talking to you because even though I'm not a, a futures trader or a currency trader or even a crypto trader, seeing what FTX and Binance have built blows my mind. Therefore, it helps me appreciate the founders and the teams more and then the products on the system. You said um, maybe the only thing you might have gotten wrong, and but maybe I'm wrong, is that you in October you said, well, you believe we finally see a, a consumer use case that people will love by the end of next year. Maybe you meant by the end of this year. Is there anything poking its head over the last seven months or that we should expect this year now that you feel really in your bones is the thing? I mean- I say NFT. I'm using this, and tell me if I'm wrong. But you know, it helps me thesisize some of this stuff and stay long. Is you know, NFTs are the thing before the thing, right? Like it's like QVC before the internet. QVC was like, oh my god, we're on QVC, we're selling millions of widgets, and then the internet came along, and everybody could sell, not just QVC, millions of people could sell widgets. And NFTs, I just keep making fun of them, uh, hasn't prevented me from making money in the tokens. And so where are we at the thing before the thing or what have I missed? Is there something there that's the thing?
0: Um, Yeah. So probably the right um, mental model for NFTs is digital collectibles. Um, That's not the universally correct model, but it's probably the easiest correct-ish model. Uh, People like to patronize brands that they like, right? For identity reasons, whether it's, Punk rock, or whether it's a Louis Vuitton bag, or whether it's like I have the flamethrower that Elon Musk made for the Boring Company a few years ago because I'm an Elon Musk fanboy. Um, and like my flamethrower Nikita, is.
1: How do you feel about Elon Musk? <laughs> I've noted. Noted. Okay. Yeah, noted. Just making sure everybody's paying attention. That, I don't think you helped yourself there, Kyle, on Panic Dating. Um, game, yeah. But you, it was honest. It was honest. So yeah, you have some weirdo's door that you bought with Ethereum or with which currency? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think I think I was unfortunate. It was with credit cards a few years ago, <laughs> legacy credit cards. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, like that flamethrower is an NFT. It obviously is not useful. <laughs> it's just awesome, and um, people like buying sports cards. They like buying jerseys. They like buying purses. You know, whatever. And it's all—it's all just kind of identity, brand patronage of various forms. And there is a place for that for strictly digital items, and, and so that. That is going to happen. Um, and it will happen uh, because, A, a lot of creative types on the internet, all the TikTok influencers, Instagram influencers, YouTube influencers, it's just such an obvious monetization vector for them. Um, now, exact, exactly what will become the, the socially acceptable behaviors, uh, what will be the frequencies and the ways you, you exactly play that game, both as an issuer and as a buyer, uh, are, are very poorly understood at this moment. Um, so next few years you're gonna see a lot of really bad behavior and a lot of very creative behavior. Um, of people kind of figuring that stuff out. Um, and 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 then the other is just you're gonna see celebrities, you know, play with this in all kinds of interesting ways. Um Tom Brady, right, like is is like launching an NFT platform. Um, with his, you know, brand and and reach, it's just hard not to see how this is not gonna become a thing. Um so quite bullish there. Um, Now, how do you profit from recognizing growing interest in digital collectibles? Uh, I would say that is much more difficult to ascertain, uh, especially given the valuations of the relevant-ish tokens to that thesis that are on the market today. Um, So I'm not going to write any financial advice on that one, but I would say it's unclear what the right risk-adjusted bets are. Um, But certainly will happen. And there's other pretty cool mainstream things that are happening too beyond NFC's. I think the most notable of which are probably Audius, which is a censorship resistant sound cloud. Uh, Audius Mm. has got about four, four and a half million monthly actives right now. Wow. Um, And so I, you know, there are, I think uh, another two X, and I think you'll start to see real mainstream, mainstream coverage there, which is, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then the other one, this is a little bit weirder as, I don't know if you call it a consumer app, but I think it's helium. Um, helium i mean it's like it's in one sense it's not consumer at all that's like you're providing wireless coverage and there's not like an app with buttons to do things but on the other hand it's like is very consumer because you just need a bunch of random people to buy hotspots and put them up and talk about them and, and it's just cool um and i think th- i think by the end of this calendar year I, I suspect helium will have pretty substantial mainstream awareness
1: and yes so you were early go ahead nikita you were going to say
2: I was just gonna say that uh y- yeah, you mentioned that Helium uh, helium's gonna be main kind of mainstream by the end of the year. And you were also talking about investing in Helium 2.0 because the application can be extended to so many different industries. Um so are there certain other names in that helium two point space that kind of like that you're looking at or appeal to you?
0: Um so in helium is a is a piece of infrastructure for deploying wireless networks. Um I think we want to talk about you know investing in the next helium, I don't mean that like in the sense of like some wireless network thing that looks kind of similar to helium. more what I mean is helium has proven that you can codify a set of economic incentives of how a system works. You can take a token, release it for purely speculative purposes. People will speculate on that token and give it the value. And therefore, based on the rules of the system, bootstrap the flywheel to get the supply side of a network going. So cool. um, And you can, and you can do that in a very large scale, physically distributed way. And that, that whole playbook is now at least in one instance, proven and understood. And, and we're fortunate to kind of have the inside, I'd say um, inside roadmap, you know, understanding of, of all the decisions that were made and were not made, which ones were good and bad. Um, and I think you can take that same idea of codify economic incentives uh, rewarding behaviors um, to get people to do something in the physical real world that provides some sort of physical infrastructure and apply it to other use cases beyond plug a hotspot in the wall and create some radio waves.
1: Like maybe toll roads were, were somewhat like helium in some way. They got paid back very quickly, like the Coronado Bridge, where... They got the bridge made, and then you paid it till it was done. Helium is like you got the supply side going, but the demand side is—is is it limitless? And so the price theoretically is limitless. No.
0: Uh well, y- y- yes. That I mean, I don't want to say the price is you know, infinity. That that's probably not the right interpretation. Um, but you let people putting a token in it also brings in other interesting behaviors, which is it lets people feel like they're a part of something because they can profit from it. Um, and that's, that's like a very powerful supply side dynamic that is mostly not existed in, in most other internet networks. Um, and then people talk about it and share it with their friends and, and you get all those kinds of, of viral effects that go from there. I think the really cool thing that will probably happen by the end of this year is the new version of the helium network that's rolling out right now is uh, five, four G five G enables. And so your cell phone will be able to use this. And what's really cool is because of how peering agreements work, your phone, even though let's say you've got a contract with Verizon or AT&T, um, if, if you are in a location where a Helium hotspot is providing better coverage and Verizon or AT&T, your phone will dynamically switch to that hotspot and the peering agreements, uh, on the back end, like will basically be used to like net out some, some payments and such, uh, between people. And so. Although you may have a Verizon customer, you will be using the Helium network, whether you know it or not. Once that is kind of understood by mainstream, I think that's going to really open a lot of eyes. And I think the other part of this that's super interesting is you're, you're just seeing this happen now. A couple of people who are involved in the Starlink beta program have said, hey, I've got a Starlink satellite dish you know, shooting up to the sky. Um, and then they're taking a, a Helium 5G hotspot and sticking it, um, on, you know, hooking it up to the Starlink base station. And in that model, right, Starlink is providing backhaul and Helium is providing fronthaul. And I mean, like that, that's extraordinarily disruptive where, you know, you can actually get rid of, like, all the cables in the ground and all the telephone poles, where Starlink provides all of that. And you just create incentives for people to put up small towers in their homes. And that's like a super, super, super disruptive model. Um, and I think you'll start to see that you know, it's hard not to see that getting a fair bit of mainstream coverage in, in tech blogs and, and IoT blogs and all those places. And I suspect you'll get the SpaceX kind of media engine, you know, behind that. It's just, it's just hard not to see people really getting excited about that because it's just so cool.
1: Where's the company located, Helium? Because I know you were a seed investor, so so indirectly, I'm an investor. Where are they located? If I wanted to send them candy,
0: uh, they are based in San Francisco.
1: And. How do you decide in a world where cash flow is not necessarily a thing, then when it's the time for multi-coin and these companies to exit? Like, so Helium is, is publicly tradable on like certain exchanges like Binance and FTX. So how does that work eventually for you? How does someone try and learn about Helium from a liquid standpoint? What's the best way for someone to learn?
0: Yeah, so you go to helium.com. There's tons of resources there. And there's good good stuff there. Uh, and they've got guides on how to get HNT and how to mine it and all those things. And there's like a link to the Discord. And you can go you know, chat with people in the Discord. And there's a ton of people in there 24 hours a day who are answering questions. You can learn a lot there. Um, if you wanted to learn about Helium from kind of more of like an investor hat standpoint, uh, our blog is one of the better resources. Uh, we've written two separate essays on our, our website about Helium. Um, and I think the other group that's done some good work that's in the public domain is Delphi Digital.
1: Yeah, I know them out of Canada.
0: Yeah.
2: Harry, you want to send them a candy for the tendy?
1: Candy for um, the tendy, baby. The <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to talk about is something that you've been passionate about from day one is, is FTX, Solana, Serum. Tell me how you spotted this as a trend in product.
0: Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of Interrelated things there. Pick um, your tone. Let me, let me uh, unpack them. Um, so you know, I got into crypto in 2016. I, I understood Ethereum early on as smart, programmable money, mm-hmm. and I, I, that 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 struck me as important. I, I, I no one at the time, myself included, had codified that into into DeFi and understanding that you could have modular financial contracts. And you can just recreate global finance in a, in a modular, composable way. I, I wasn't able to articulate that in a cogent fashion, but I understood smart, programmable money matter. And over the course of 16 and 17, the first few exchanges, the first few applications on top of Ethereum, basically all of them were exchanges. Uh, Ether Delta was probably the first. I mean, even Augur was a, an exchange of sorts. And... 0x kind of launched at the end of 17 and we actually got very bullish on 0x and published a, a paper on it at, like I think in December of 2017 and we, we developed a real conviction that trading was the single most important application of a blockchain um, beyond kind of non-sovereign store of wealth and once we concluded that and we, we concluded that, that irrespective of whether you're trading derivatives or trading spot you just need to be able to trade a lot of stuff and once we concluded that we said okay is Ethereum actually designed for trading. And a very, a very obvious answer to that question was, and still is today, to this day, is no, it's not. And we started looking at all the other kind of new smart contract platforms that were launching at late 17, early 18. Launching meaning like the developer teams kind of got off the ground and got started and spoke to all of them. And, and they were all kind of making different sets of technical trade-offs in what they were doing. And the one that we ended up developing the the most excitement about was Solana. Um, The Solana team designed the system from the ground up where they said, we are optimizing the system so that we can run a central limit order book on chain. Hmm. Um, I believe the very first pitch deck they ever sent us actually, literally the the title slide said NASDAQ for blockchain. Uh, They've since dropped that messaging. That was pretty corny, but like that's been the technical optimization parameters like since inception and that struck us as being very, very important because running an ex- actual high-frequency exchange is actually a very difficult problem. Um, scaling databases and reads and writes concurrently in real time with lots of people hitting the system uh, is understood to be a very difficult problem. Mm-hmm. And so we made a really outsized bet on Solana saying, okay, uh, focus on trading and make sure that you can deliver the best trading experience in the world in a decentralized network. Mm. Uh, and, that's, and that's what the Solana team focused on. And that is what they ultimately delivered. And uh, the blockchain launched in uh, March of 2020. Uh, R&D took a little longer than we would have liked, (laughs) Uh, but it it launched. Um, Meanwhile, kind of during that same time period, this guy named Sam. Sam uh, was a trader at Jane Street, Mm -hmm. got into crypto in 2017, launched a firm called Alameda. just his money and maybe so many employees. And they were just a market-making arbitrage firm. They were Delta neutral, trading a whole bunch of... um, You know crypto things. Um, They were absolutely crushing it. And uh, in November of 2018, Alameda there was a big there was a big market crash in November. The whole market was down like 40 percent that month. And Alameda was hedged. They were trading primarily on uh, OKX, which was at the time the largest derivatives venue in in crypto. Mm -hmm. And um, they had some offsetting positions elsewhere. But OKX's liquidation engine failed and. As a result, they ended up having to socialize losses across a lot of traders, and, and Alameda was one of the traders that got hit really hard. Hmm. Um, even though they, they were they should have been hedged, OKX screwed them out of basically incompetence.
1: Got it. And uh, and you had nowhere happened, else to really go. Like, I mean, it was just early days, like being stagecoach was, holding your gold. Yeah,
0: it was like it was like OK and Pro, well, and like a couple of other smaller like and bitmex, and like those were basically the only venues that were around at the time, especially for derivatives. And so Alameda got posed as a result of that. And uh, Sam said, you know, God damn it, like these crypto exchanges suck. I'm going to go and build the exchange that I've always wanted to trade on. And so he launched FTX in May of 2019. Um, We looked at the FTX seed round. Unfortunately, we did pass, uh, which that one really hurts. Um, But he launched in May of 2019. And within about three or four months people, I would say, the serious traders in the market started to realize, Hey, FTX, like this is, this is a real event. Like this thing is for real, like it's innovative. The the liquidation engine is much better. The collateral system is much better. The APIs are better. And by the end of 2019, it started to, I'd say, become consensus ish view among the far end of the risk curve crypto traders. Like FTX is going to be a serious player. Um, By the summer of 2020, FTX team realized you know, they're just growing and compounding and you know, getting more PR and brand recognition. Volumes are growing, like everyone's gonna be loving the product. The FTX team realizes this whole DeFi thing is a really, really big opportunity. Um, and they're like, okay, we, we wanna do something big in DeFi. And FTX is uh, at this point one year old. And you know the FTX team, their whole claim to fame was they built the best exchange. They looked at it, everyone else, did it. Everyone else sucked for a whole bunch of interesting technical reasons. And they're like, we, we, we're gonna build the best absolute system we can. So they looked at you know building some DeFi stuff on top of Ethereum, and they were like, "This is impossible to build anything useful um, on top of Ethereum that is worthy of our kind of uh, you know brand equity and and, and um, reputation." Yep. And so they said, "Okay, let's go let's go look at all the other competitors to Ethereum, and let's see if any of those guys have like solved the hard technical problems here." and they kind of evaluated all of them and they ended up saying hey Solana is the one here that makes sense Got it. Uh, because it was it was designed from the ground up to provide a central limit order book natively on chain and Sam who's the CEO of FTX and Alameda understood that you want to have native composability of having liquidity on chain because that is the atomic unit of composability that matters mm-hmm. um, for all all financial trading and so you know they went all in on Solana and they said okay we're going to build uh, a decentralized exchange called Serum on top of Solana uh, we were very fortunate. To, we were the largest investors in Solana at that time. And we became the largest outside investors in Serum as well. Um, and they, they launched Serum at like the end of August. I'd say the first three or four months, uh, volumes were, were pretty low, like sub 10 million a day. Uh, and actually I actually think they they recently crossed. Um, they're now doing 100 million plus every day in volume on Serum. Wow. And I think, you know, I think, so it's gone up about 10x or so in the last six months. And I think it's going to go another 10x in the next six months. Um, I think it'll be doing about a billion a day, you know by the end of the summer, early fall.
1: On Serum or Solana?
0: Uh, on, on, I mean, Serum is the largest venue on on Solana, and so it's it's growing at a at a compound rate of about a hundred x right now, uh, annualized.
1: This would be like if E Trade had also invented all the things inside of it and didn't have any competition. Like they're so far ahead the way they've structured, it. and then. You know, from my talking to Sam and understanding FTX, because I've been lucky to network into this group uh, separately, but I, obviously you've been uh, a proponent of, of the product for a long time, the the Binance people, you know, if you, if you ask who's an investor in FTX, it's Binance. I mean, this industry is so young and yet the history is being decided for decades because You know, you hear these people just talk smack about something. They're not even trying to understand, like some of the smartest people in the world, just throwing shade at stuff. And they're not just doing a simple Q&A and really digging into the details, just like we are right here. Like, Nikita, you're a trader. Like, this is pretty fascinating, right? Yeah. This is unbelievable. So you, so the pieces started coming together for you, That even though you missed FTX, you saw what they were developing. And when they named Solana the thing, you just happened to be in the right place at the right time and then tripled down, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yes, speaking of, we, we bought some FTT along the way. Um, yeah, so we that. weren't in the seed, but yeah, we did buy some FTT along the way.
1: And so, what can go wrong? We always hear like things blow up and, you know, leverage and scale. So, what can really go wrong that you can't control?
0: Um, yeah, I think there's a few sources of like major blow up risk. So, I'd say one is some very, very adverse, aggressive changes in the regulatory environments across the US andor China and or Hong Kong. Um, and or Singapore. It's hard for me to imagine what could change that would be so adversarial such that, you know, these things die, but never say never. Uh, I'll say, you know, at least both FTX and, and Binance have both demonstrated amazing ability to navigate complex global, international financial regulations um, in, in various ways. And so I, I'm optimistic that regardless of what changes, they'll, they'll be fine, but you never know. Two is probably that, you know, something happens to kind of like Sam and, and Anatoly and the core teams here. Um, the, you know, Solana is one year old and change. Sharon is six months old and change. Um, There's no very just young systems. They are technically decentralized and um, architecturally decentralized. But like the, the, the ecosystems, I'd say, are, are young enough still that the founders have too much clout um, mm-hmm. and too much influence. Um, not as a function of that of, of, in a bad way. It's just it's, these things naturally start centralized and, and they decentralize over time. Um, so I think, I think there's some kind of uh, key man risk there. Although I think in six to 12 months, that will, that will basically be irrelevant. But I'd say it's present today.
1: So you think egos can be checked at the door and that these people truly want decentralized? Because, you know, I was talking to my friend Greg on the last podcast from HiHo, and he was saying as soon as things become somewhat easier to use, centralization follows Um, so is it inevitable that this stuff all becomes centralized or you still think it can be decentralized?
0: No, no, no. So, so the, the, the people here all, we're all in an agreement that the, the people are a liability, not an asset. Um, you need to have, I mean, the people obviously have to ship the stuff and like, you have to have code that works. Um, and so so you need people there, but, but beyond a certain degree of, of scale, if the goal is to have a decentralized system by definition. Every individual is, is a liability, not an asset. Um, and, and if you look at even like look at, at Sam and FTX, how they talk about FTX versus Serum, are very different because one is an open decentralized thing, and one is Sam's company. Um, and I and, and so think that, that reflects a, a first order understanding of the difference between uh, running a centralized exchange versus a decentralized exchange. Um, but again, this, is, this ecosystem is just young, and, and so there is inherently man risk. Um right, like if Satoshi died a month after the release of Bitcoin white paper, there's a good chance it would have never gone anywhere. Um, but he was able to leave two and a half years afterwards because there was enough social inertia that the system would, you know, there were some developers working on some stuff, right? There were mining and mining was working. There was exchanges with the price, and, and there was enough there that the system would would perpetuate. Um so say the same kind of thing is, is true here.
1: And um Oh, sorry, go ahead. Keep going.
0: Yeah, so you asked, well, what are the blow-up risks here? So yeah. no, you so there's some a- kind of key man risk here and there's some adverse regulatory things that who knows what happens. Um, beyond that, it's it's pretty hard to see, you know, blow-up risk. Then the open, other open questions are kind of competitive dynamics against um, other ecosystems. Um, but that's not a fixed pie game. And um, I think the inertia and the velocity that the salon ecosystem has now is really un- unparalleled. And so I'm, I'm optimistic that will compound.
1: Yeah. For, for people that want to pull up a chart, SOL, uh, Solana, it's I think it's it hit 50-ish. It's gone from 1 to 50 this year, maybe?
0: That's about right,
1: yeah. Phenomenal. So I just think the TAM just continues to grow. So luckily, you know, I look at Ethereum and Bitcoin every day, but nothing else. So two more things that you've tried to explain to me that you've been right about, and I'd love to just quickly touch base and catch up on them. Uh, the first is the graph. Just give me a quick, uh, it's GRT.x on StockTwits, but the graph. Tell me how you got involved and why you're passionate about that project, because it's amazing.
0: Um, Yeah. So in in some sense, you can kind of conceptualize a blockchain as just a database that happens to have some interesting trust minimization properties. Um, Introducing those trust minimization properties creates weird forms of technical overhead. Um, But like with the database, all you do, have you have two operations, basically, reads and writes. When people talk about scaling Ethereum, whether we're really talking about is scaling writes, which is the obviously you have to write stuff before you can bother to read stuff. But most of the public discourse around scalability is in the context of writes. Um, but like obviously, if you're going to put a bunch of data in a database, it's only useful if you can read it out later. And so you also need to figure out a way to scale reads. And 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 blockchains are particularly interesting databases because like normally, you know, like if you have a chat app like Telegram or iMessage or whatever, and then you've got like I don't know. Your Facebook feed, like those would obviously have different database architectures, just because, like, th- how people read and write information from those applications is by definition different. Mm-hmm. And the problem in a blockchain is everyone is using the exact same database. And, and so um, all of the optimizations you would normally do for indexing and querying data at scale, by definition, don't work in a blockchain because everything is in a single database. And so what the graph realized early on was. They needed to kind of take all of the learning from, you know, database systems in the last 20, 30 years um, and apply kind of the cutting edge of that and basically create a layer of of nodes that live on top of these blockchains, where those nodes have a way to understand the format of different types of transactions in a blockchain, parse the data, build customized indices of that data, and then provide scalable, real-time query performance. Um, And so the graph team uh, just reached out to us cold in February of 2018 and we, we kind of understood the, how their approach really kind of made sense on a first principles basis, kind of reasoning about everything I just described. Um, and in particular, they wanted to lean heavily into a, a relatively new, at the time, query system called GraphQL that was invented by Facebook. Hmm. Uh, and GraphQL started to get really popular around 2017 to 2018. Um, and, and today, I think GraphQL is kind of considered like the standard for kind of cutting edge querying systems. And they wanted to lean really hard into that, obviously, as you can see in the name if you're going to actually have a decentralized system uh, on the rights, you also need to have a decentralized system on reads uh, and you need to figure out how to scale that. And their approach to us kind of made sense on a first principles basis that that was the right thing. Um, And the team had all the relevant background on on how to solve all of these technical problems. Um, So we backed them early on. We were the first money in. And in the few years since then, they launched a centralized version of this graph Query service, um, but, but with the same kind of, Developer endpoints and GraphQL exposed. That launched in, I don't know, late 18, mid to late 18, and grew incredibly quickly over 19 and 20. Compound annualized growth rate has been about 100x for two years. Um, starting from a relatively low base, but but it has compounded at, at do, a spectacular rate. So all, and, all the blockchains
1: um, want to pull, or they pull from all the blockchains. So it's kind of like Google of the blockchain or something?
0: You know, a lot of people on the internet throw out that term. I, I think that's a little bit. Disingenuous because it's not um, human intent-based queries, which is like right, like show me some Nike shoes. That's like human intent query. These are, are all more programmatic queries, um, most of which are initiated by other machines instead of by like a, a single piece of human intent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not quite right, but conceptually, yeah, they are indexing and querying today uh, most of the open data in Web3 uh, across IPFS and across EVM-compatible blockchains, and they're adding stuff like Solana actually right now. Um,
1: and so how would the graph get paid? How would like the machines, so who gets paid and how here?
0: Yeah, so, so today the graph is processing something like, uh, I want to say 800 million queries per day, somewhere in that range. And that number is growing at a spectacular rate. And the idea is that anyone anywhere in the world can download the open source graph software, uh, which is free and open, download it. Set it up on a, on a server and run it. That that system will then uh, kind of through some interesting curation identify basically which pieces of data to index and subgraph based on global demand and, and what's under indexed. And um, will kind of reason about all of that. You as the owner of that server can modify those parameters, um, or you can just use kind of like factory defaults. Um, and then you'll start indexing and querying data, uh, indexing data. And then as you know, people go to websites where they want to query that data. And those queries will get routed to your computer. And you will get paid uh, uh, on using micropayments, you know, like we're talking fractions of a fraction of a penny uh, for every query that you serve. Uh, and those you will get paid by basically the people who own the front end. So, for example, like I think Sushi is like, our, or Uniswap, for example, are, are two well known, um, or you know, Aave is like a well known borrow led protocol um, in, in DeFi land. Um, and the Aave team is hosting you know, the front end at Aave.com. And whenever the you know, user goes there, they have to load a bunch of stuff on the screen, they have to query the blockchain. Um, the Aave team is pay basically right some fraction of a penny um to whatever graph server ends up serving up that query. And all that gets negotiated and happens in more or less real time. I realize that sounds like insanely complicated. Um if you actually look at like, you know, searching and indexing the modern internet and Google and like real-time ad auctions and stuff, you realize it's like a similar level of kind of complexity. Um, but it's it's that that's basically all happening today in real time.
1: You know, you coming on as like a history, and unfortunately I don't get to banter because I know you love to banter and so does Nikita and I and Knut but I mean I I'm blown away because you know just this weekend on Yahoo I'm live streaming people talking about oil and uh, tobacco and throwing shade and I'm like so immersed and it's interesting to hear Facebook so Facebook's products an open source product right they throw shade on Facebook but is that product open source and can they screw the community at some level
0: um I mean, Facebook core is not open source. A lot of parts of Facebook. No, that are.
1: that part that they built on at the graph that was. Oh,
0: GraphQL. Yeah, Gra- I mean, GraphQL is not proprietary to Facebook at all. I mean, it's just an open source query language. Like that's not specific to Facebook.
1: Pretty fascinating. Well, I'm going to let you go. I got a million other questions, but we'll we'll have you back. What would be the best thing for mainstream? Forgetting helium, because again, that's still very to the regular person at home. Uh, they could read about this 10 times and not fully understand the mechanics of, of how this will all work. And then Google and Apple still seem like they can mess, throw shade on all this stuff somehow. But, you know, I, I played around with Bitcloud. Cloud. I have some Big Cloud. I don't fully get it because I'm not a user of the product, right? Like Twitter still works for me because I haven't been banned or, or shamed enough to leave. What's the best thing other than trading that could happen? Like, what are you excited to see? Or is it still all just underneath the service highways and blockchains and connecting things and speed that still just matter most more than anything?
0: Um, no, I mean, like, you know, Audius, we didn't talk much about it, but I mean, like, they've got four million monthlies. Um, and there's a, a, a community of artists and of listeners today who, who are, are thriving there. Um, Audius is in many ways kind of the spiritual successor to early SoundCloud early SoundCloud being circa 2012 to 2014, which had a thriving community. It did, yeah. And uh, I'd say Audius today is probably where SoundCloud was in Mm 2011-ish. And uh, yeah, I think that's just an amazing use case to to grow. And the platform is completely open. And so I fully expect in the next 12 months, you're going to start to see third-party applications and websites embedding Audius content. Hmm. Uh, And users may not know that they're streaming Audius but you know, the old from audience, and that, that's exactly, of course, what you want to, to be happening. And so, um, I'm I'm pretty optimistic there that you'll get real consumer-grade reach. Um, sure, you could build a I'm,
1: TikTok of audience. Like if it's a, you know, you can start rebuilding a lot of these consumer apps if uh, if all the parts are out there for people to pull from. So that's cool. So we need more consumers. Audius is like I, I hear a lot of young people talk about it. Obviously, NFTs, which I can't uh, get behind personally myself. But uh, we'll have you back. I got to have you back quarterly, sorry, just to learn. I appreciate you spending so much time uh, with Knut uh, Nikita and I. I'm going to let you go. Um, I will connect you with Nikita. Nikita, stop. I will connect you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and what's life in Austin been like? You're happy there?
0: Austin's great. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the pandemic is over. Um, life is pretty normal here. Uh, music venues aren't back, but other than music venues, life is pretty normal.
1: Good for you. Um, and, and you're hiring. So how do people reach out? Multicoin capital. There's a, is there a job site there? Career site?
0: I think we do have a career site. A lot of our portfolio companies are hiring. Um, and then we are right now looking for, yeah, uh, a general counsel and, uh, an investor relations associate. I think are our two open roles.
1: All right. Well, you're the man. Uh thanks for doing this and uh congrats on the uh on the run here at Multicoin and we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh I I learned a lot, Nikita.
2: I learned a tons too. All right.
1: Uh Kyle, thanks for doing this, my man.
0: Hey Howard, thanks for having me on. Kenita. Nikita, excuse me. Great, to, great to meet you all. Look forward to meeting in person someday.
1: You got it. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Kyle. Bye, guys. Bye.
1: So Nikina, now you know why I get excited about this stuff. It's one thing to just trade and you know, you're you, you like to trade yourself, you spec queen. But um it's hard to put your grasp around this. And we're still so early. Like these things are still like year one and year two. But they have traction. Yeah. They don't have traction the way Facebook has traction and YouTube has traction and Snapchat has traction and but there's traction. And you can make money on the financial side. It's not Fun for everybody, so you know people are ignoring it because they think everybody's trading, you know, silly things. But these are really powerful engines being created in databases, so pretty exciting. So I didn't uh, get a chance to banter that much. I I wanted him to go through the history because you have to know these stories to know how early we are and how much risk there still is. So uh, Canute, I think Canute is having a heart attack because I'm moving, looking at video and uh, there's creepy crawlers in the other room making noise, you? Yeah, I think they've— uh, Did you they, shoot the thing that was moving? They've been silenced temporarily. <laughs> so uh, it's good to have Nikita's uh, bright, sunny, shiny face. Absolutely. Canu, you're even smiling more than now Nikita's here. Well, I can Take look some at of her wig. and
0: not just you. I mean, it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a huge
1: See what I do for you? It's feng shui. Nikita brings feng shui. Exactly. With a brain.
2: Thank you, guys.
1: So you, unfortunately, are stuck in SPAC world, which is the most depressing place on earth right now, correct?
2: I know. It's super depressing. It's like each week I'm dreading now what I'm going to write on Sundays because (laughs) it hasn't moved. It just keeps on going down.
1: So that's happened. Kyle went through that. Crypto goes through that. We need to see some good deals, just like crypto needed to see some real product innovation and we're getting it and then attracts the talent. Uh, A lot of bad deals were done in in SPACs because Mm -hmm. retail was sloppy. And just like 2017 in crypto, retail was sloppy. And when retail gets fooled, uh, they wanted their toys, they wanted no middleman, and they got it in 2017 with tokens, and they got their ass handed to them. Then they wanted no middleman with SPACs, and guess what? They're getting their ass handed to them. (laughs) So I think it's great because... We don't want the middleman to come back and say, I told you so. And that's kind of what Warren Buffett, this is what pisses me off. They're kind of saying you need us. And we don't need you, unless you want seized candy and tobacco and airlines. And we do need those things, but we don't need Warren. But we do need these decentralized products. And what everybody's mad about, cash flow, et cetera, I don't know what to tell you. Like these mm. things have to get built. At least they're getting, the bubble is getting this stuff built. Does that make sense to you? You're does, shaking actually. your head, right? Like,
0: no, I mean, I, I, I just don't actually physically understand it, but I understand that other people do. And but I'm they're more not just doing bad ahead. things
1: with it. No, I know it's great. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like there's bad things being done in SPAC land and crypto land and in old finance world land, but everybody's throwing shade, not even digging in an inch deep into some of these chains and yeah, they're overvalued, yeah. they're undervalued. You shouldn't trade them. Uh, I'm not recommending you trade them, but shit's getting built. Yeah. And Sam's solving problems. Like he didn't, he wanted a solution that didn't screw him, you know? Yeah. And so he built his own crypto exchange and we're, this is what's amazing. <laughs> and now he's got to live in Hong yeah. Kong and he's where, you know, yeah. government here don't like him. Right. So he's taking risk. He's making life choices that aren't perfect for him. I'm sure he'd love to live in the U S and be the Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? Like he truly is like a Zuckerberg type brain. He's 28 years old. Mm -hmm. Can't even live in, in the U S because what he's doing is theoretically illegal. Yes. So uh, we should be embracing some of this swashbuckling mess. You know, maybe they're pirates, maybe they're not, they're entrepreneurs and they have to do it way different than the last generation who got their smartphone from Steve jobs. They had their app store. They had their 30%. Everybody knew the rules. Now everybody's complaining about those rules, but nobody likes the decentralized way. And man, shit is happening. That's why I see it. That's why Kyle's making money. And that's why the people following Kyle are making money. There's many more Kyles out there. We're going to have to get more room on the show. Um, Many more people that have just built these Pelotons and these networks that are just spitting off cash. And uh, it's exciting.
2: And I agree with you. I think uh, partly, I mean, especially retail They just want to make quick money and they don't want to understand or like take the time to learn it. But I think partly it's also, and I think Kyle mentioned it on the last pod, that this was like the first wave of investing where they were investing in the core assets, right? Where the infrastructure is being built. So you're right that the infrastructure is being built, but because people don't take the time to learn about it, they think overall, you know, crypto is shit or like, you know, everything's kind of like.
1: Yeah, it's not Visa, like, like as if Visa worked the first day of globally and MasterCard, like good luck using MasterCard in 1960. Well, who are you going to call?
2: Right? It's like Stock <laughs> twitch,
1: It's like everybody sends me every piece of spam. Like I'm the guy who can kick off every spammer in the world, let alone I don't work there. So that's the fascinating part. Yeah. You know, in 10 years ago, oh man, who were these people yeah. that made this possible? We were complaining about gas and Ethereum and this. And to the victors go the swells, to the toy players, people that are playing with these toys, like myself and yourself, and and uh, luckily not Canute. As soon as Canute gets on board, we sell. That's kind of a rule. Here. So <laughs> That's
2: the top. <laughs> then you should probably so sell much next week. That's the top
1: because he's so indifferent. <laughs> He's like, whatever you want, Howard. And so (laughs) I think in his way, he's actually the best type of investor, meaning he doesn't even throw himself into the network. He just says, I'll just attach myself to that node and right or wrong is right more more than wrong. Let's do it that way. So he actually has the right attitude for someone indifferent, which is, I know there's something there. I just don't want to do it. And But I'm not going to make fun of it. I'm going to keep an open mind about it. And our job here, you who networked into us at Social Leverage and anybody out there who's looking maybe at Multicoin, we're hiring, he says, for all their companies. Uh, what an opportunity. And I tell my nephews they're going to work at, you know, um, the big uh, Arthur Ant, whatever those kind of consulting firms that you probably worked at one, Nikita. Right. Yeah. And, and they're making 60 grand and they're worried about quitting because they have a five grand bonus that they'd have to give back. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. Well, that's why I keep on saying. Like they're Mm -hmm. they're so smart. I met my son's friend, and he's so smart. He's a data scientist, and he's at uh, I don't know whatever the one is. And he likes his boss, but he's like, I can't leave. I'd have to get back to five grand. I said, you really. (laughs) (laughs) to (laughs) really are underutilizing your your noodle upstairs. If you've got four years of college and you're taking a 60K job when you're a data scientist and know how to use Python, knows how to use Tableau, I'm like, people are hiring you, man. And they're probably paying a hundred grand. And you're going to learn a hundred times more. So, you know.
2: Well, that's why I keep on saying that, you know, we need to find a token for you. Because we and me and Canute, we have attached. You are the you are the coin here, and we need a coin out here which says Howie.
1: No, there's that Bitcloud thing. I don't get it. I don't want to monetize Howie. I think you know the Spac is one way in a sense that we're monetizing this. If people trust me, you know, ride with me, the token is SLAC in many ways. It's like trust us to go find a smart deal. The other way to trust us is to get in our streams and to see who we're following and go. Rickish, no, what do you call it? You go slingshot off my network and just go do it yourself, right? Like, right. you know, be nice and say hello and thanks for the intro, but just go over, right? The whole yeah. point of these networks is to just glob into it. Don't cause cancer, like don't wreck the network. And obviously right. that happens, but just go ahead, you know, say thank yeah. you, uh, be polite, but you don't have to wait and ask permission, just go. And I don't think enough people are doing that. They're really just not throwing themselves into these networks and seeing like the Discord channels. Like even at StockTwits, I'm like, why aren't we putting, when you have a, a ticker and, and people are just YOLOing on StockTwits, maybe we should add the Discord channel on those. So yeah. at least people can discover a conversation they may like more, you know? Yeah. And and it's that interoperability that uh, founders and, and products have to start giving because the conversations are everywhere and all these different platforms are good at different things. All right, enough of me rambling. Canute, are we even on? Have you shut us off already? Uh, about 20 minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's why, Knud, that's why Nikita's here. You'll never shut Nikita off. i just let you yeah. ramble. All right, that is it. It was a little bit longer, but a lot of knowledge dropped. That was uh, Kyle Simani, Multicoin Capital. As always here on Panic with Friends, we're trying to not get years ahead of the curve, just kind of months and weeks ahead of the curve. Sometimes we're even a little behind the curve, but as long as there's a, a stupido. How do you say stupid in Norwegian? stupid <laughs> What do you think? They copy their English. Exactly. So as long as there's stupidos out there, which there are, trust me, you don't even have to be, you could be the millionth person to like something. And you still have plenty of opportunity out there. So this is panic with friends, I can find us on Spotify at uh, not on radius. What was the name of that thing? you got to go try that. Nikita, the music one that he was talking about. Uh, oh, the audience. Audience. Yeah. yeah. So we're not on audience yet, but we should look into that. We will. No, you won't. So Nikita will. Someone will. And, um, we, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, uh, subscribe, so you never have to worry about doing it. Thanks, DocTwits, uh, and thanks, Knut and Nikita. See everybody next week.